Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week, we are joined by our Lincoln Park location pastor, Joe Riccardi. Yeah, and we get to talk with him about eschatology, about our relationship with the Jewish people, and Joe's favorite fall ice cream. Great, let's get started. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Joe Riccardi. Joe, thank you so much for joining us for the Pastor's Cut. Great to be here on this gorgeous fall morning. Yes, and Joe, but I, I guess my, the- my here is not your here. We're all in different spots. I don't know how that works. So great to be on this Zoom call, I guess I would say. <laughs> yes. And Joe, I think you are the person on staff that I have learned appreciates food the most. So what oh. is your favorite fall food? Well, I got to say this because last night I had some friends over. And I had, for the first time this season, Edie's makes a, a seasonal fall pumpkin ice cream. And I don't have ice cream a lot, but I treated myself. I bought it yesterday. And, oh, if you haven't had the—and it's low, It's not even, like, a lot of calories. It's, like, 160 calories for two-thirds of a cup. So uh, so if you want a nice treat, uh, the Edie's fall pumpkin ice cream, you can get it at Mariano's or Jules. But I'm a pumpkin guy, Hillary. I love— a homemade pumpkin pie, oh, anything pumpkin, pumpkin bread, you know, organic pumpkin bread. If, one, if any of the listeners want to make me an organic, low-fat, paleo pumpkin bread, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, what's yours, by the way? Apple crisp. I love a good apple crisp. Nice and mm. fresh. The vanilla ice cream melts on top of it. It's also what I had last good. night, but it was really good. That Trevor, what about good. you? That's- uh, yeah, I loved all of those things. Um, pumpkin pie, apple crisp. Uh, Megan with the kids, she just made these uh, pumpkin, chocolate chip pumpkin cookies with like a maple glaze. So those Ooh. those have been wonderful. Um, wow. Yeah. Wait, I'm curious though. So pumpkin pie, but do you do sweet potato pie as well? Where do you land on that? I'm a sweet <laughs> potato addict. I have sweet potatoes at least five, four or five times a week. I dice them. Make them with uh, olive oil, um, cinnamon, and salt. Uh, but then I would love sweet potato pie. There's a there's a place in Beverly that makes sweet potato pie that I don't get to go to too often because it's so far away. But I love a homemade. So if anyone wants to make me a homemade sweet potato pie, <laughs> so our listeners heard that Joe is accepting any organic pumpkin yes. bread, homemade sweet potato pies. Thank you. Homemade Thank pumpkin you. ice cream. Pretty much, Joe will take anything you want to give him. It's come his on, come on! If it's homemade, if it's homemade, come on, let's go, Hillary. <laughs> All right. So, Joe, uh, you preached at Lincoln Park in Near North this past weekend. Uh, could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah, it was on that great chapter, uh, Romans chapter 11. It was, um, I explained to our folks that uh, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul does an excursus into the, um, the fate of the Jewish people because obviously— uh, we might it's it would be you'd be quick to discern that why aren't there a lot of Jews that believe in the gospel that Paul has outlaid in the first eight chapters? So what Paul does is take an excursus and addresses that issue. And Romans eleven is all about their future. So when you're preaching on thirty six verses in about thirty minutes, it's kind of hard to take a deep dive. But I tried to highlight four things from the chapter: a remnant to be saved which is like the first 10 verses where Paul talks about a remnant of Jews that are being are saved and are being saved. And then he talks about a warning to heed, and that's from verses 11 through 24. 
And there's some serious warnings that Paul gives Gentile Christians, which I would suspect are a lot of our listeners, folks that aren't Jewish believers, Messianic Jews. So he gives a warning to Gentile Christians. And then he talks about in uh, 25 through 32, he reveals the mystery of how Israel's undergoing a partial hardening right now. But that will only be, that's only temporary until all the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And then lastly, he gives one of the greatest doxologies we have in all, in all of Scripture in verses 33 through 36. Doxology meaning uh, praise words, words of praise. And so Paul, in light of all that he has put before us, even really in the first 11 chapters, says there is a reaction that you must have, and it's a reaction of praise to the greatness of God. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I spent the time and just really love the chapter. It's wonderful, but like, like I said earlier, there's no way in 30 minutes, most people do this in at least three sermons. You know, even one of my professors from Moody, who's one of my just good friend of mine, Dr. Thrasher, he talked about, yeah, ideally you'd be doing this in three sermons, kind of. So anyway, all that to say, it's not going to be as deep of a dive in one sermon, 35 minutes, as it would be if you had 105 minutes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I really I like the way that you closed it out with, um, you know, with the chapter ending with the doxology. And uh, kind of like that celebratory close to the sermon, having everyone stand, read that out yeah. together. Yeah. Was, yeah. Wasn't that just wonderful? Just, a, I mean, great doxology, one to easily memorize and and just pray God makes it a reality in my heart. You know, not just words that I'm saying, but truly that I would grasp what Paul has grasped about the greatness of God in light of all the truths that he's laid before us. So. Yeah, like you said, that is a lot of verses to cover in one sermon. So I'm sure not everything you found made it into your final cut. So what did you cut from your sermon this week? You know, there was some, I, I kind of cut the extra hard parts. I figured th- there's enough of the, <laughs> there's enough of parts that I can go with the hard parts. So Hillary and, and Trevor, there's some verses in uh, 7 through 10 where Paul starts quoting uh, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, the Psalms. Not that I was cutting them to avoid them because I didn't want to address them, but when he talks about in verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So there again, Paul's addressing that the work that God has done in, in unbelieving Jews have given them a spirit of unbelief, so eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear. So again, you go to this mystery of... Um, God hardening the hearts of unbelievers, in this case of unbelieving Jews. And so there's this tension of, and I think Doug Moose said it uh, in one of the commentaries, God only hardens those who have already hardened themselves. And so I I just couldn't spend a lot of time there. And I know, I remember actually, was it Trevor? Trevor, did you do Romans 9? I forgot who did Romans 9. So Trevor talked more about that actually very well. So if you have not Listen to Trevor's sermon from Romans 9. I would highly commend that because I thought Trevor did a really great job at that. So, um, so I didn't. It's kind of repeating a lot. Of some of what uh, Hillary, what he, uh, Trevor covered. More importantly, what Paul covered in Romans 9. And so I didn't get to address that. And then even uh, verse 9, where I think that's uh, the psalmist that he's quoting there. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them, lest their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs. Forever, So, yeah, Psalm 69, 22 to 23, Paul's kind of praying judgment 
on the on over the Jews of his day that who have rejected Christ. So again, they're tough. Um, they're tough, hard verses. You know, they're weighty verses, Hillary. And so again, I didn't necessarily avoid it because I didn't want to tackle it, but just time wouldn't have allowed me to do my own excursus into all that Paul is bringing up in here. And then there's some wonderful truths in verse 26 and 27. Uh, where Paul talks about, again, and that's a very controversial, uh, that even that one word in verse 26 where Paul writes, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Well, that begs the question, right? Who's the all? So there's coming a day, the mystery, he just explained that the mystery will be revealed. And then in this way, all Israel will be saved. So that begs the question, is it all Israel, meaning all of ethnic Israel. Some people hold to that, that this coming a day where there'll be a great revival and all of those who are part of uh, the actual nation of Israel will be saved. Is it Jews and Gentiles that he's talking about? Um, is it referring to the saving of a remnant? So again, I didn't I didn't get into that. I, I, I just mentioned, Hillary, I just alluded to it, Trevor, just about how I believe that's just, he's referring to all Israel, meaning Jews and Gentiles. And then again, I didn't touch on the deliverer will come from Zion. That's obviously Jesus Christ. And obviously I brought up Jesus Christ in the sermon and he's the hero. And he, I didn't, and, but I didn't, I didn't dig into those verses right there where Paul again um, goes to Old Testament prophecy where we read the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this is again, uh, Paul taking Old Testament prophecy and 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 bringing it to the days. Yeah, is it? I, I forgot actually. Is it from Zechariah? I'm I'm forgetting where which which where he's quoting there. So, so anyway, that's a little bit of I did what I didn't get to touch. That again, if I had more time, I would uh, be able to dug deep into it. But yeah, so those are some things that quickly come to mind. Yeah, and that Old Testament prophecy that you mentioned, you weren't able to really dig into. What what would that have communicated to the original readers of Romans? Like, why do you think Paul picked mm. that section? Now, are you talking about the, the last one that I just mentioned or the one in um, God gave him a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, you know, or kind of that, that one or the one about the deliverer will come from Zion? The second one, yeah, verse 26 and the 27. Second. Yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Woo. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Paul is just showing to them Christ was, the Old Testament was kept, the Old Testament prophets were pointing forward to a Savior coming, and it was right before them. It's how could they not see the long-awaited uh, Messiah that has come? So, um, yeah, that's what would come to my mind on what their initial readers should have seen from that this long-awaited redeemer who would take away their sins has arriven, has arriven, has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's that's the yeah, that's the mystery. So I don't that that's what comes to my mind quickly. I don't, Trevor, do you have any added thoughts to that? Or yeah, no, I mean really good question. Just kind of thinking on it in the moment in the conversation um, makes me think a little bit of like the there's like an, an irony that's also like a, almost like a tragic irony or a sad irony in the whole situation where, you know, the salvation that we receive by placing faith in Jesus Christ is, is the blessing that was promised to Abraham. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, part of the promise that God made to Abraham was that I'll bless all nations through your descendants. And, uh, you know, we're not Jewish. I don't think any of us on this call are, 
Um, but we've received that blessing uh, that's come through Abraham's descendants, uh, which is the salvation we've received by placing faith in Jesus Christ. But the, the sad irony is, right, as Joe, as you were talking about, so many of those who are actually ethnically Jewish haven't received that. And um, it almost seems like it, it's calling that out a little bit in the same way that you were saying, Joe, that the deliverer will come from Zion, right? It yeah, comes yeah. from the descendants Jerusalem. of Abraham, from Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, whenever it says Zion, that, that's actually just another name for the city of Jerusalem. Those are the same, they're syn- synonyms. Yeah, good. that's a good call out. Very good call out. Yeah, good question though. Um, so follow up with that then, as you said, Trevor, even all of us on this call, not really coming from Jewish descent and just reading this chapter here and seeing yeah. how it's almost saying that yeah. Israel's fall and the Jews' non-belief is what yeah. brings Gentiles to faith and is used as a way to show us the gospel. How would you then encourage us who are Gentile believers to share the gospel with our Jewish friends? Ooh. Who are not Messianic Jews. Hillary, good. I feel like it'll Hillary, change the way Hillary. you share the gospel. You, explain, you explained it very well, I mean, because that's what Paul says. I mean, Paul says that I kind of gave a funny, uh, the answer to the Jeopardy question, how did salvation come to Gentile Christians? It's Romans 11, 11. It, They stumbled through their trespass, the Jews of not believing in the gospel, Salvation has come to the Gentiles. So it's because of their trespass of not believing. And then Paul does say, so to make Israel jealous. And so there was a purpose in that. So Hillary, great question. I do want to mention it to listeners. Um, It's going to be on our website uh, on November 2nd. I've asked a friend of mine, Justin Crone, who works for uh, Chosen People Ministries, and uh, he's worked for them. For, he's a Messianic believer himself. And on January, uh, November 2nd, Monday night, a Zoom call. And, and the class is entitled, Why Are There So Few Jews in the Pews? Why Are There So Few Jews in the Pews? And I was um, actually having lunch with a friend of mine yesterday, a colleague, Phil Adams. And, and we were talking about, you, you, don't, you don't see a lot of churches that really have an emphasis on ministering to um, the Jews, and how are we reaching the Jewish people with the gospel? And there are some ministries like Chosen People Ministries um, and others, Jesus, uh, Jews for Jesus, that uh, strive to bring, and that's the, that, that's the mission of Chosen People Ministries, is to bring uh, Jesus the Messiah to them. And so, um, so all that to say, Hillary, uh, just like anything I'd say, of course it starts with the relationship because— most of the Jewish people I know are cultural Jews. So I have a, I've always had Jewish friends in my life. I, I didn't get to touch upon this on Sunday, which I wish I did. But um, I've always had, since I grew up in Long Island, so I've always had Jewish people in my life. My sister at one time was married for many years to a Jewish man. And um, so I've been very, very familiar with the, the Jewish faith and the Jewish people Primarily, though, through cultural Judaism, not a lot of um, Orthodox Jews have I said I could say I've known. So, so obviously, Hillary, you have to be in relationship. You have to, you know, be in prayer. Um, and then, then it's I, I don't think I'd even have an, a, a plan B of other than reading reading scripture together. Romans would be a great book to read together with them, and then especially these in the Romans nine, ten, and eleven. So. 
But I think that's one thing, Hillary, we have to work on. I could just speak for Park and what it looks like to reach. I think the statistic I shared from Operation World is that there are 15 million Jews in the world with, I think, 150,000 believers, uh, Messianic believers, which is like 0.0001%. Uh, and so that's a that's a pretty small percentage, and it's really a group of people that we don't we just, most of us Hillary and Trevor just assume, oh they're Jewish they're not Christians, right? Oh my friend, uh, have you shared your gospel with your friend uh, Hillary? Oh no no she's Jewish. Oh okay like the gospel doesn't apply to her then because she's Jewish. No 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 like she's not trusting in the Messiah. And so I think we have, we have work to do there is what I'd say, Hillary. We have work to do on, um, so hopefully even a class like November 2nd will be a kickstart, I'll, you know, and that'll be a really good question for Justin. So please do look on our website. Um, anyone's welcome to join that Zoom call. Um, why are there so few Jews in the pews? Monday night, November 2nd, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that so. sounds great. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's one other thing I wanted to touch on in it. it yeah. kind of this passage gets into uh, the topic of eschatology, right? The, oh. the study of end times. Um, yes, yeah. Thank and you, Trevor. So, you're the guy. Yeah. You're our end time specialist at the church. <laughs> uh, I just wanted. So I want to give like just a quick recap of some of the basic positions on this, um, just for us. And so, they're really, they're they're uh, premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Right. Those are the three basic uh, camps or categories. And um, if you notice, they're all prefixes that are attached to the word uh, millennialism. So they're all kind of associated with this idea of the millennial reign, this idea that we come from that we see coming from Revelation 20, where it talks about a a thousand year reign that will take place at a certain point in the biblical narrative. Right. In, In redemption history. And so the different camps just have different positions or understandings of how that's going to come about and what that's going to look like. Um, so premillennialism, I mean, Joe, you and I both educated at Moody, yeah. uh, premillennial school. And uh, so this camp basically would see that the, the way things are going to work out is that this period of the church is going to end with a period of tribulation, right? Things are going to get yep. rough. They're going to get bad. Uh, and then the second coming, Christ will come uh, that will follow that and bring basically that period of tribulation to a close. Uh, and then there will be sort of the initial establishment of his reign for a period of a thousand years. And so understanding, yeah, literal, literal, understanding that literal, that thousand years in a literal sense where he's reigning on the earth for a thousand years, uh, kind of a period of unprecedented blessing flourishing on the earth. And then there is a period of, um, you know, where things get rough right at the end of that, but then the final judgment comes and then the new heavens and the new earth takes place. Um, and so what's interesting about that one is it has kind of a pessimistic view of how things are going to progress here, uh, that basically in the age of the church, things are going to get worse before they'll get better uh, before the end. Is that not what we're seeing? Are we seeing it get, getting better right now? Am I missing something that's happening in the world? Or it doesn't <laughs> seem like, I mean, unless I'm just missing it, I'm not watching the right news stories, but it sure uh-huh. seems like it's getting yeah. rougher and rougher. But anyway, that, I could be wrong on that. I'm sure Rafe would say otherwise, my <laughs> colleague. I'll take off. It's getting to get better. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. No, you know, what's fascinating about that is that, uh, you know, premillennialism actually became a lot more popular after World War One, because up until that point, you know, technology was getting better. Things were advancing and it was like things keep getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden the World Wars hit and we're like, no, actually, Things don't yeah. seem to be getting that much better. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
so then the next one is postmillennialism. And basically what this looks at is it sees the, the thousand years. There's a couple different ways of understanding it, right? Either it's the period between when Jesus came first and when he comes back the next time, uh, or it's that a certain at a certain point uh, as the church, we essentially, uh, enough people come to faith in Christ, we become influential enough in society and throughout the world that we usher in the kingdom and we usher in that period of flourishing upon the earth uh, for a thousand years, whether it's a literal thousand or whether it's just the, the time in between when Jesus comes. But essentially, we usher in the kingdom uh, and at a certain point, uh, then Jesus comes back at the end of that and then establishes his kind of full reign and rule. Final judgment takes place and then the new heavens and the new earth. So that's actually a very optimistic view and that it sees that a lot of people should come to faith in Jesus. Uh, you should see society getting better. You should see this flourishing taking place on the earth as a result of the influence of the church specifically. Uh, so, so a very optimistic view in terms of how things should be progressing. Um, and then the other one is amillennialism, which is kind of similar in some ways to postmillennialism in that it sees uh, sort of like a figurative understanding of the thousand years. doesn't necessarily have to be a literal thousand, uh, but essentially it's that Jesus is reigning already now in a certain sense um, in the hearts of his believers right? and in the hearts of his saints, those who are followers of him. The reign is taking place in the present age. And essentially... It's at the end of that reign that Jesus will come back uh, and the second coming will take place and he'll establish, you know, final judgment and then the new heavens and the new earth. The difference between that and postmillennialism is that it has a tendency to focus more on the suffering, to expect suffering and difficulty and even persecution in the midst of this age uh, has more of that understanding yeah. of tribulation rather than uh, things getting better and ushering in the kingdom. So a little bit more pessimistic. And those are really Broadly speaking, those are kind of the three main camps in terms of understanding end times. Uh, what would you say, Trevor, um, to the average person that's listening? Um, how much should they make of, I mean, is this something they should do a separate study on? Is it, what, what, what does the average person need to, what, what does it matter for the average person? Would you just share? Just ask. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good question. That's, I think... They're almost like, you know, they're, they're like interpretive frameworks when it comes to understanding different passages in the Bible. Or the reason we bring it up is because Romans 11 plays into it, right? With that, you know, all Israel will be saved. What is, is, that, is that kind of given like a post-millennial? A lot of people come into faith, ushering in the kingdom. Is that what it's talking about? And you try yeah. them on almost like a pair of clothes and see how well they fit, right? In terms of making sense of different passages. I would say the biggest benefit, it comes from, and the thing you can take away, no matter what position you, you stand on them, is that at the end of the day, Jesus is going to come back and, and he's going he's gonna to establish his reign and rule uh, for all of eternity. And we're going to have the ability to enjoy that uh, forever. And so I think regardless of how things play out, we, we know that that's going to yeah. be the case. And I, that's a, I'm glad you said that because that actually, what Trevor says there, that's the orthodox position that we must have is if you're a Christ follower, that Christ will come back. There are godly men and women who hold to amill, pre-mill, post-mill. So I would even say to the average person uh, in the pew, I don't know if you need to do a deep dive into it. If you're wired that way and you want to and you're just an avid reader, there are books. Uh, I know there's a series, Trevor, right, where they write those books where everyone takes the opposite position or everyone gives pushback on the position. There's a whole series on those. And uh, so if you're that kind of person, go for it. But for the average person, Christ is coming back. And that's orthodox. You, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe that Christ is not coming back. And so live your life in light of his uh, 
his return. So that yeah, that's just something that came to my mind. So yeah. Yeah. Are there certain scriptures in Revelation that you would recommend Ooh. someone to dive deeper into to also that's get good. a better understanding and kind of form? Yeah, that's no, good. I mean, you're on that. Would you have to say the whole book? We've not, that's by the way, Hillary. That's one book Park has never. We've when I was doing a bunch of my fall cl- uh, my classes, we did a bunch of Monday night classes when the pandemic started, and we weren't getting people asking, "When's Park going to do Revelation?" What about a Monday night Revelation class? Which I still wonder if we could bring that about. We've never, I know, I know we have, we don't have the books set to preach on after Romans, Trevor. So maybe we could be asking, can we do Revelation yeah. on Sunday starting in January? I haven't, I haven't heard from Kenson on uh, where we're going next. But anyway, all that to say, Trevor, you could, I do think you have to read the whole book, but we have yet to preach through Revelation and it's Revelation. It's not plural. There's only one revelation. Uh, I always love when people say revelations. I'm like, oh, that's not in my Bible. I always say that's not in my Bible. I don't have that book in my Bible. You must have a different Bible than me. Uh, Trevor, what would you say? Would you just direct them to read the whole book? I mean, it's wouldn't it be hard to? Yeah, would I would you, say like, would I'd go? say read the whole book, but especially focus in on uh, chapters 20, 21, and 22. Especially chapter 20 when it comes to the millennial reign. But then 21 is where the good news comes in, and so I would. Yeah, I would say 20, so read 21, that too. 22. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the book of Daniel actually plays into it pretty yeah, significantly. Yeah. A lot of times we think Daniel and we think, you know, the lion's den. We think the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we forget that there's some, uh, you know, he's he's a prophet, but it, it has more mm-hmm. of a feel of like apocalyptic literature rather than prophetic when you get into the latter portions of the book of Daniel. And so a lot of times people will study the book of Daniel and Revelation together, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, but, Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's right. Yep. You do Daniel Revelation. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I had a class in Moody. And Dan was Daniel Revelation. Yep. Yeah. 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 This has been fun. Joe, thanks so much for your time. Now, this was wonderful. I really loved it. Get some Edie's pumpkin ice cream. And uh, yeah, it's, and uh, thanks Joe for having some me. I hope, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Homemade organic coconut yeah. sugar. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Pastor's Cut. We hope you'll join us again next week as we are joined by Noah Chung, our church planting associate pastor, and we're going to move into Romans chapter 12.